0: Welcome to the Back in Business podcast. I'm business writer, broadcaster, podcaster and grumpy old so-and-so, Mickey Clark. I'm glad you said so-and-so and not what we normally call it. <laughs> I'm a small business journalist,
1: Liz Barkley, and I'm not nearly as grumpy as he is. Uh, we're, I think we're both a bit grumpy today, are we? Not though, because, because yeah. the weather is dreadful, at least where I am in London. Presumably where you are too. Oh Uh,
0: tipping it down. Dogs haven't been out yet.
1: No, my dog has refused to go out the back door since he woke up (laughs) at seven this morning. (laughs) I'm a bit worried about the consequences of that. (laughs) (laughs) But it's it just seems to me that it's been a bit of a quieter week on the whole business front, but we've been concentrating more on the public health issues.
0: I think, thanks. yeah, I think there is that case. But also there's a lot more fallout from from the COVID-19 and the impact of the restrictions, not the the disease itself, the virus itself, but right. the restrictions which are impacting on business. And I, I've seen it more and more anecdotally. Uh, we, we went down to Whitstable near me um, earlier this week, um, a pub on the beach, lovely spot. And I got in there early. We grabbed a table, it was four of us, And during the space of 10 minutes, three large groups were turned away because the pub was full up. Now, the pub wasn't full up because of COVID-19 it is. There is no pub in this country that could withstand that sort of treatment of its customers over a long period of time. And it's as we were saying last week, if you cut off the income coming through the front door, the costs are still going to go up. You're going to have no profit margin left. And I think if this carries on the way it is, especially with this curfew of 10 o'clock, um, I think there's a lot of pubs going to be going to the wall very, very quickly. And the same applies to restaurants. Uh,
1: it's just so sad, apart from
0: everything else, because so many people... Well, it is, because it's a change in your social life as well. I mean, I'm going up to Norfolk next week, and normally a few pubs would be encountered. But you are thinking now am I really going to go and book a table to sit in a pub and have a casual pint. It wasn't Some you lot. it wasn't you I was thinking about it was the pub owners. <laughs> oh was the it? Rest, the rest, oh, I was thinking about me as usual. The restaurateurs
1: <laughs> absolutely and of course the first the first words folks out of his mouth are always about pubs and <laughs> and did you notice he said and I got in there early. <laughs> It was shopping. <laughs> Why am I not surprised by any of that? But the other thing that uh, the news yesterday, uh, local news certainly in London, was full of was events companies really, really up against it because uh, London, other big cities. They are dependent on business events, for instance, to bring people in, to do, uh, to fill up the hotels, to fill up the restaurants, to fill up the pubs, etc. And it's just not happening. So they're. Well, it's not.
0: It's not just London. I mean, you've got the major no. exhibition centre in, in Manchester. All the big city centres have got them there. there. and they just ain't happening. Indeed. Yeah. You know, you can open these places up, and you can have a dozen people wandering around um, in this vast auditorium but then you've got to have the staff there and the costs are still there. So it doesn't become profitable for the businesses. And, and that's part of the problem. It's not, as it's, it's, it's not the virus, it's the regulations being imposed by the government that are crippling all the businesses.
1: My, also, my concern is that, you know, we the journalists keep saying, what is the scientific basis on which this has, this restriction has been added to the list? And we keep hearing, well, We're not sure there is one. It's being worked out.
0: I'm an expert. I know. Listen to me. I mean, that's what it's boiling down to now. And certainly with the 10 o'clock deadline for for many pubs, I can understand why they've done it, but it's the sort of thing they would have done in 1914 at the outbreak of the First World War and did do. They curbed licensing hours so that people stayed sober. It was pointless because if they can't drink in the pub, they'll find somewhere else to drink if they want to, if they're in need of a drink. So I think, you know, what we're seeing now is a a thing that's not been thought through. Plus the fact so many other MPs have got no business experience. They don't know how to run a business. That is part of the problem.
1: Um, We've even had an MP say that on one of our... (laughs) podcast oh, <laughs> uh mickey uh we're not experts <laughs> no
0: nah, well we are sadly. we're experts on everything and nothing yeah
1: sadly but maybe uh maybe Brion Finchard, head of public affairs might be able to give us a bit more of a an expert uh, mm. view on what's been going on this week uh Breon,
2: well, <coughs> yeah, no, thank you, thank you for having me. I mean, it's been it's been a fiery week, really, in Westminster um, at the moment over certain divisions on the restrictions between the backbenches and the government, and there's been a real divide that's kind of grown up. And in fact, actually, just building on what you're what you've been saying about conferences in the cities and the regions, of course, you know, the conferences this week um, and the weeks prior uh, now being digital and online. Uh, these cities like Manchester where the Midland hotel which famously which will have the Tory party traditionally have the Tory party conference um, this year has been has been completely missed out they 've missed out on the uh, economic money that were coming into into the city um, there's also what you're saying about pubs there's another division we saw a division at the beginning of the week interestingly over uh, scrutiny in the uh, restrictions coming forward from the government that then there's new kind of there's a new rebellion happening over the ten pm pub curfew. So that that's, might be something you can join in with, there, Mickey. Oh
0: <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, possibly. I mean, whenever you covered an exhibition story for for the BBC or any of the newspapers that me and used to write for, you'd always say, you know, chew the cud, press the flesh. They were the, the thing. Can't do that on Zoom, can you really? Um, you know, it's not, it's oh. about meeting people, getting to know people, whether you can trust them or not, sizing them up. And on Zoom, that actually is, is, is quite a difficult aspect. I, I wonder, yes, it may be a, a good thing, but I think it's limited.
2: Yeah, yeah. Is that, sorry, is that the digital conferences?
0: Yeah, you know, you want to you deal with somebody, you want to deal with them face to face. In the end, otherwise it's one computer talking to another.
2: Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, there's a whole industry that's wrapped around it from, from hospitality and leisure to the pubs where people go after hours drinking um, and and some of the meeting kind of spaces as well. There's the city, as you know, for, for those of you who have attended conferences, there are sort of fantastic space um, for, for ideas and meetings and socialising, but also to kind of really kind of, as you say, Press, press the fresh uh, on on a few things. Um, so, so there's been a, this is all being framed this week. These divisions really in the lead up to the Conservative conference. It's been very kind of untraditional in how it's gone around. Um, in the fact that normally we would be having all the party lines being trotted out, and this week, of course, we haven't. We've had we've had divisions. We've had um, we've had arguments. Very very public arguments. And and some of this has been kind of. Lost really on on business and and some of the kind of issues that businesses are going to be facing over the next month um, have been MPs have been very aware of, but there hasn't necessarily been the space I think in 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 the political debate and the drama that's been going on to kind of get these through. So, for example, we've got furlough ending at the end of this month. A lot of businesses are beginning to make redundancies. They're starting now, and what the effect of that is going to be um, is is usually something that will probably be debated right now uh but it 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 hasn't kind of got through because of the effect of the the drama. I've seen one report
0: today Brian, which says Uh four million unemployed yes Um, you know and and that whole thing with the chancellor last week about viable jobs and not being able to support you know certain industries it, it had a scary feel to me as though this is, you know, we're, we're putting this proposal forward to support, to subsidise, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, it ain't really going to work and there are going to be casualties and you're going to have to put up with it.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, there are going to be some some casualties. Um, I think it doesn't matter what he was going to do. However, in this particular proposal that he's put forward, what are there's no definition around viable job. Um, what is a viable yes. job you know and actually if, if so you could argue that many would continue to be viable, viable jobs if the government continued the furlough scheme in particular sectors so what is a viable job is is entirely being left up to interpretation there's also another question over does the new job support scheme go far enough like does it actually is is it enough to support jobs and then the third question which i thought it's quite interesting because it kind of depends very much on the sector and also the industry um, and the company itself. But will the new scheme potentially encourage some redundancies uh, because the the amount of hours? So some people may, you know, get rid of say two staff if they can consolidate those hours into one worker.
1: It seems um, to me, it, Breeon, it didn't take the small businesses very long to work out it was going to be a lot cheaper just. To cheaper, let the yeah. Alone. And have one work full time. Three people working, exactly. Um, And so that's not necessarily likely to work terribly well. But another thing, Brian, that I've noticed this morning that doesn't seem to have worked terribly well for the hospitality sector uh, is the eat out to help out scheme. The British Chamber is saying that didn't help anybody. I
0: think that was fairly obvious. (laughs) Yes. Maybe, Maybe to us... Yeah,
2: unfortunately, I mean we've we've had businesses on coming onto the podcast saying that it's it's useful for a period of the week, but then it actually kind of skews the effect at the weekends when they would have most of their their trade. Um, yeah, there's there's some interesting statistics on a survey that was done by the British Chamber of Commerce um, that effectively show that their members um, say that the e to Help Out scheme was not helpful, and I think that if we're going to be if we watch this carefully, uh, this was a flagship uh, thing that Rishi Sunak uh, was trumpeting, of course, amongst the the Tory party. Before it was even launched. Yes, exactly. And well, (laughs) let's see how this goes down during the conference. Um, I think it's going to be quite interesting.
1: Okay, um, Brion, there's somebody who has been nodding and shaking her head as you've been talking. So let's bring in Stephanie Jepsen, who is the owner of Courtney World Travel, based in Chooksbury in Gloucestershire. Uh, Stephanie, we were talking about the job support, the job support scheme, and you were mm. nodding vigorously and shaking your head, and all in agreement with Brion. Uh, have you been in the situation where you've had to make people furloughed, had to lose members of staff?
3: Yes, I have. Um, when the job scheme came out, we put two girls on furlough. Um, then what we wanted to do was perhaps put other people on furlough, but the cutoff date was the 10th of June. Um, so we couldn't put other people on there. Um, it would have made so much sense just to have kept it going until October so that you could semi-furlough bring people back uh, and carry on like that to to share it if you like and would have really helped the travel industry um because we're now going into our quiet time we couldn't furlough everybody at the beginning because as you can imagine everything was such a mess with flight everything was cancelled we had to cancel bookings, rebook people. Uh, luckily, we did manage to book a lot of our, our customers, but we had one hell of a lot of ca- uh, cancellations. The tour operators, a lot of them furloughed all their staff and left just a real skeleton. So it was taking two to three hours to get through to tour operators to try, try and get these these bookings postponed or cancelled, and to get people's monies back. So we, we were just constantly on the phone. There was no way we could furlough any more of our staff. But now we're going into a quiet time for travel, and um, we, we could do, I'll be quite honest with you, with being able to use a proper furlough scheme now. A lot of companies took advantage of the furlough scheme quite uh, unfairly. I think. Um, so, obviously, it's, it, it has been abused, whereas the travel industry, we could really do with that now. We're going to our quiet time. We haven't earned any money since last year. Our long haul market, which is from November through to March, that pretty much cancelled in January when the first um, hint of this virus was hit in the Far East. So, everybody cancelled their bookings and then obviously it's carried on march is a traditional time when you're collecting balances for the summer of course all the bookings cancelled for the summer we've had no summer season so the travel industry has really not earned any money for probably more than 12 months really and we only earn our commission when there's bums on seats when those they're actually flying what about christmas then is that not a big earner for you Stayed Christmas. time yeah, it's ski time. People are going on long haul holidays, but that market is not as big um, as as the main summer sun. Uh, but the majority of our business is yes, you, you've you've got your winter period, but the the big bookings are from March through to September. That's your big booking period. That that's you know when people are travelling.
0: When he you, launched when he launched the furlough scheme. I understood what it meant. It did what it said on the packet. It furloughed businesses, employees, and for an indefinite period of time, or you know, six months, four months, whatever. Yeah. This new scheme, I'm not quite sure what it's supposed to be because I would have thought if he'd have cut back on the furlough and instead focused on certain industries, certain sectors that needed the support, then it would be a much better way of spending money. But as it is. Any company can go now and apply for this scheme if they've got the now, if they, they know what they're doing, but I, I don't see it saving businesses. I think it's just going to speed up the process of redundancies.
3: Yeah. I, I've i spoken to a lot of travel agents, um, travel agent owners, and a lot of them are going to be making more redundancies now because this scheme isn't really going to help us at all. Well, how are you adapting?
1: What What are you doing? What are you thinking? What's your forward planning? Because... Obviously, if you're if you're still going at this point in time, then yep. you are hoping to weather the next six months
3: um, and rebuild. So, what's your thinking? We're going to carry on as we are. Um, we're on the high street, and I think it's important for us to be open and um, people people see us and it'll um, install confidence into people. <clears throat> Excuse me, um, but. I know a lot of agents who are furloughing their businesses literally i say furloughing hibernating their businesses um they're going to work from home um they're basically laying off all their stuff. Um, a lot of them are doing unpaid leave and um, then come back in January. But, are you, are uh, you running
0: up an, an overdraft, Stephanie, if you're continuing to run? Because the, the money will have to be come from somewhere and if you're yeah. not, you haven't got income coming through, then it's a problem.
3: Yeah. Luckily, I haven't got an overdraft yet. Um, and um, we, we own the building. So we're not paying rent. There's a lot of agents out there who are paying rent. We're not. We're, we're, we are in a lucky position. Um, I will be honest with you. I would dearly like to be able to furlough um, my staff to save myself money. Um, and, um, you know, I may end up in an overdraft. We've, we've done the bounce back loan, as everybody has. Um, so, yeah, just got to keep trying
2: what's interesting though, one of the things that is particularly pertinent that you mentioned to your industry is that you are uh, susceptible to seasons and seasonal yes. change and how the market shifts with that. And so, but coming from, and I can see some of the government's issue is how do you create policy that reflects that for for even, you know, and, and particularly when it comes to the furlough, um, you know, the furlough is a policy one size fits all um for all industries and all sectors however that being said what they can do is is understand what you can do in policy is create um flexibility through then paring down based on need and so that's where the chancellor really kind of needs to i you know in many people's opinions and mine as well that it really needs to focus on what are those needs and understanding what those Seasonal of fluctual changes are in markets.
3: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I think that possibly people that haven't been furloughed could now should now be able to come onto a furlough scheme. So obviously the ones that have been furloughed they can come back, and then you can put other people on. That to me makes makes more sense. Okay, let me let me
1: bring in Mike, and. Philip, our other two guests. Mike Brewer is the Chief Economist at the Resolution Foundation and Philip Salter set up the Entrepreneurs Network. In 2014, Philip, I think in order to try to make Britain one of the best places in the world to start up a a small business in particular, Um, given what we've just heard there and given actually what Brion has just said uh, about government, if you are going to impose restrictions on a sector, uh, shouldn't you make some financial provision for that sector to survive I think Brion was what you were saying. Um, Mike where are we give us an overview has that happened at all or has the one size fits all approach been a bit of a disaster for some sectors in particular? Yeah
4: it's it's really and we're really quite amazed actually at Resolution Foundation the government is seems very insistent not on take a not on taking a sector by sector approach, uh, and it may be back in March that was the right thing to do. I mean, if I guess we should, if we can remember back then, we probably thought it was going to be a short sharp shock, and the government was doing policy making incredibly quickly. So I think I'm not going to criticise it for the schemes it designed then, but now where we are, no, it's very very clear that the impact on the economy from coronavirus is highly specific to certain sectors, um, and that's just not being recognised in in anything the government's doing, in its support to business, nor, uh, nor the way it's trying to protect jobs.
0: Hospitality, aviation, theatres, cinemas, yeah. they're, all, they're all being shut down because of the restrictions rather than the problems relating to the actual virus itself. And Rishi Sunak gave the impression he hadn't even thought about any of this until just a week or 10 days ago. It, it does seem as though he's making it up on the back of a fag packet, doesn't it? Do you think that's totally fair, Mike? <laughs> no,
5: I, I, mean, I mean, I think it's, I, I, so from as ever, I might not have. I suppose, um, I think I completely agree. I think it, the sectors that are being regulated to, to try and stop the spread of the virus should be compensated accordingly. So in that respect, one thing I would say where well, I guess I differ slightly um, from, from some of the earlier comments, is I do think there's, it's hard to choose between the kind of health of the nation and the stopping the spread of the virus and their business interests. I think they're kind of aligned. So even in countries where they've been less onerous in terms of regulation, people have chosen to kind of step back from the economy and have kind of self-regulated in some senses. So I think in that respect, you know, it doesn't really matter whether it's imposed by the government or whether it's done by individuals. We are facing a pandemic and we need to ensure that the businesses that would otherwise be viable after the pandemic is over after we've got a um, a vaccine which looks actually which is one of the optimistic aspects of this i think there's there's a lot of optimistics and kind of news around that potential early next year then i think then, then i think the government needs to be there but i wouldn't say that i, th- I don't think all of the policies have been good policies um, i think some of them have been bad policies but the policies themselves are kind of understandable, given that if we lose control of the virus, we also lose control of the economy at the same time. So I don't think those things are as kind of in, 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 um, in, in kind of contrast with each other as, as maybe some some commentators think. I
0: mean, Mike, if, if, if you're gonna shut down certain sectors, such as aviation, aeronautics, um, leisure, theaters, then you're gonna to have to compensate it because Countries that do not regulate to the extent we've done would be in a position to make great gains when this thing settles, Uh, the virus is cured or goes away or whatever it does. Um, By not supporting them, we do seem to be putting these businesses in a very dicey situation and the economy.
4: Yeah, I mean, this is the really, really tough call that the government's got to make. And I, and I say before, I think the situation in March was almost easier for it. You know, we thought it was going to be a short, sharp shot. Blanket, so shut down. So, well, no, also just throw money everywhere. All right. Yeah. I mean, they just poured out money uh, across the job retention scheme. No across the Exactly. Money was no object. Um, now it is clear. Now we think the, you know, the virus can be with us for a longer time. And some of those sectors you just mentioned, Mickey, are not going to be able to operate for a long time so now it's a much much more difficult or more expensive problem the government's got um and it's really i I imagine it they have been thinking what do we know what the choices are do we try and preserve the hospitality sector the way it was in march until until a vaccine is found or do we allow for do we recognize that we're just going to have to That the sector will have to lose people they're going to have to move into other sectors that are expanding and it's obviously decided that Preserving everything the way it was is too expensive uh, and I think it's probably right to do that now, now we're thinking that now, now we're more aware of what the timelines going to be. Now we're thinking in years, not months. I think it would be unrealistic and it would but also be it would also be very damaging for individuals themselves to be to be furloughed and not working for long periods of time so if if the, if the restrictions on activity that we need to that we need to follow because of the virus mean that you know we just can't go to nightclubs anymore we can't have uh, live music right then we need probably probably best to allow the people who work in these industries to get them to do something else rather than Otherwise, they basically make unemployed. Well, where for two
0: where years. were the proposals from the chancellor right, right, for that? Yeah, right, There so was no exactly. training so proposals whatsoever. Yeah, absolutely. And if he'd have absolutely. if he'd have targeted the furlough scheme by extending it to industries that do need the support, um, that would have been less costly than giving it to companies who don't need it. Which um, is yeah. what he's done. Can I, I, think can I Can
1: I? Can I take a step backwards here, Mike? Just give us a bit of an overview, then, because you're saying uh, it's not fair to keep people furloughed in sectors which aren't going to come back, and I absolutely get that, and they need to move into other sectors that are expanding. But what are those sectors that are expanding? And actually, you can't turn a chef into a bricklayer or a chef into uh, a, an AI Mama. specialist or whatever it happens to be uh, in the matter of a fortnight. So, you know, how? what do we need to do to achieve no, you can't. that shift? Yeah.
4: No, you can't. And I think, right, I'm definitely not supporting everything the government is doing right now. And I think, Mickey, Mickey, you were getting at that. So the government is probably right that we can't furlough people for years and years and years, or for you know, a couple of years. Um, but what it hasn't done is done anything to stimulate the economy or to boost those kind of sectors, which could absorb workers. I mean, let's face it, we are going to have an unemployment crisis, it might not be four million, but it's going to be two or three million. And in, that's a huge recession, right? And normally, in a recession, you expect the government to do some, to some priming, to do some pump priming, to boost those areas of the economy which can soak up workers. So, yes, it's doing a lot to try and prevent businesses from going bust, and prevent workers from losing their jobs. But you've got to do the other thing as well, which is put in more support to those sectors that can work safely and can absorb workers. Um, now, we made we, we gave two four examples a few months ago. We suggested that. Um, it, it, well, I guess the government's doing that with its new green green grants, but we suggested a much bigger scheme to try and soak up some labor into retrofitting our homes with you know, more insulation. Um, we've also suggested that the government give money, not to business, but to local authorities to increase social care. Now we, just, we picked those two examples because we thought those were socially useful jobs that we probably would want more people anyway. But it, of course, it could look at the private sector as well. And well, basically, it, it needs to be doing something to generate the activity, just to to that firms feel able to create vacancies to help soak up the pool of unemployed. That's what we're missing. Um, okay. and can I say one more thing? One more thing. I think we're missing. Yeah, I am yeah, really yeah. struck by some of Stephanie's. <laughs> really struck by one of, one of Stephanie's points. So I think it's you know, it's, it's, it's it's right that we don't furlough people for years and years and years, but it is. I think as as we see the restrictions start to increase again. I think we need a new scheme for those those businesses which were operating perfectly fine in July and August, but might now have to shut down again as we go through the autumn and the winter. The people for whom the you know no households mixing means that well, again, people stop going to restaurants. So we probably we may see pressure for a new furlough scheme if the virus and the restrictions get tougher. Oh, I
3: think flexible. I think
1: that's why everybody's getting so depressed by the yeah 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 right yeah. And Sorry, definitely. I,
3: I think a flexible furlough as well because you it doesn't need to be that that person's gotta be off work for months. I mean we're all hoping that come March that travel can pick up with the use of testing at the airports. Um it you know they, they can test when I flew to Rhodes um last week they, they were testing at the airport and they they had it sussed completely and it felt safer over there than it did over here Um, and I can say that hand on heart Um, so you know what's the testing Comes in into airports. People can start travelling. Obviously, there's going to be restrictions, but people can start travelling again. Once people start travelling, then engineering will pick up. I mean, Chelmsford is huge for um, aerospace engineering. So uh, we've got companies here that make undercarriages for aircraft. They make the um, tow trucks that tow your um, aircraft in. Um, that you know that there's such a big industry that. Travel props up we are a viable industry and we create in ourselves a lot of jobs um, uh, dependent on people flying so even just like um, retail so clothes shops people aren't buying clothes because they're not going on holiday. It's simple things like that, you know, that, that you see all the swimming costumes on, on sale now in the shops, all the aisles of sun cream that haven't been sold. People aren't buying perfume. Uh, you know, It's it a all, ripple effect. It's a ripple effect. And travel, I really don't think that this government understand just how important travel and the travel industry is. And it is a viable industry. Philip, I'm just conscious that you're trying
1: desperately to get in there. Sorry. Oh,
5: what, no, it's all. What are, um, yeah.
1: what, what are your entrepreneurs <clears throat> and the network telling you? What, who's Who's the winners and losers there? Who's struggling? Who's actually seeing opportunity here?
5: Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's very much kind of based on sector. So we have entrepreneurs across all, all kind of sectors of the economy. So most obviously kind of hospitality entrepreneurs, which is quite a big thing, obviously, in the UK and very successful kind of export as well in terms of food and drink, um obviously like, struggling um significantly. Within tech, there's obviously some winners. So I mean, we've just got to think about how we're talking now on Zoom. There's obviously like areas of the economy which are benefiting. And you can see that in data um that, for example, Bohurst have put out on kind of fundraisers that, you know, at the kind of upper end of the market. So so people there are instances where people are benefiting. And then when you look at kind of smaller businesses, some have been lucky enough to be in a sector where they've been able to pivot to to provide what they're doing online or or to, to kind of compete potentially with larger businesses by doing something in an innovative way, whereas the larger business isn't able to, to kind of do that as quickly because of all the things incumbent on them. But I think it would be kind of overblowing things to say that this is a, you know, a great time to, to be in business. It's, a ch- it's obviously a challenge but, and just surviving is, is I think, you know, a, a mark of being successful at this time. And if anyone that kind of comes through this, the other side can kind of feel, you know, feel proud of, of what they've yeah. done in that mm-hmm. process. So I do think it's, I do think it's very difficult, um, but there are, um yeah, there are definitely, Kind of changes that are happening in the economy. So we've got a report out today on home working from home, and it looks at the kind of economic case for it. it looks at what the trend has been prior to think to, to this. Looks at um, employers and productivity data um, of randomised controlled trials, and actually shows that. It goes against my intuition because I hate working from home and I love being in the office. Um, but apparently, according to the research, which I've got to follow, um, it is it is you know working well for a lot of businesses. They're finding that it's working well; and they're as productive, and there's evidence of people are productive. So I think there are going to be some fundamental changes that happen in the economy. Although I hope it's not to the point where we are stuck at home all the time, which I, which I don't expect it will be. What's the experience of your members
0: um, with regards to government support? and banking support because there does seem to be this feeling with the treasury that they don't really like small companies.
5: They all think they're tax dodgers and need to pay more tax. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously uh, anyone, anyone that was paying themselves with dividends was, were completely left in the lurch basically. And it was a lot of that was to do with the government not having data. So they couldn't differentiate between if you were paying yourself in dividends or if you were getting kind of um, click, getting um, kind of interest on, on investments. And so I think there's a real, failure, not necessarily from this government, but multiple governments of not having the right data to be able to target support at the people that really needed it. Um, self-employed have also kind of struggled a bit and uh, will be struggling more, I suppose, as, as that kind of winds down as well. So I think there's, I think things, so we were involved in, on the upper end of the market, kind of the future fund stuff, which is good for high growth businesses, but even that is just a small number of businesses. It's not going to help that many. I think the loans have been relatively successful. I think the furlough scheme as originally designed has been, was welcomed, but then exactly uh, what Stephanie was saying about flexibility, the lack of flexibility. And then also now, I suppose the plan, there isn't really the plan in place to support smaller businesses. And one thing i would definitely put out is the Kickstarter scheme. So that, so the, the businesses that will um, create most of the jobs um, in, in normal times, in, out of recessions, the businesses that create and the jobs are young companies not so, not say so small companies but younger companies because they're you know for the obvious reasons that they're growing and they've got ambitions and and, and for all for all those particular reasons and um, so the kickstarter scheme that you've got to have a minimum of 30 employees to bring on and that's a very generous scheme and that's that's a bit mad there are intermediaries people can go through but apparently from what I'm hearing the incentives aren't really there financially to do that for these intermediaries so that's an area where it's a bit of a own goal for the government not to let smaller companies bring on these kind of young people and effectively have it subsidized by by the government so i think their area like tweaks the policy that needs to be made and
1: um mike philip do you think that was deliberate or was that a law of unintended consequences um, you know not really thinking it through that actually it's the small businesses it's the new businesses that create the jobs therefore let's make sure they're the ones that can bring on the young people into those roles rather than the bigger businesses that can take on 30 or get together with somebody else and take on 30 was that an intended consequence
4: I, i don't i don't think it was intended um Again, we could blame policymaking at speed. Um, I mean, the government's also a little bit, is worried a little bit about um, fraud and misuse of money. And this, and as Philip said, the, the kickstarter scheme is also very generous. The government's sort of taking up the majority of the cost of employing somebody. And it's a little bit scarred now by... Um, by misuse and fraud and JRS, so it could be that it's just targeting it at, at firms that it thinks will have better ways of more reliable ways of accounting for the money. But um, but no, it, I, I, it doesn't. It doesn't seem ideal, does it? Uh, I mean, in, in the previous um, previous time this was tried. Well, basically after the last recession, the Great Recession, the scheme was aimed more at uh, public sector and and uh, charities uh, as much as the private sector.
1: And um, unfortunately, though we've. We've not got a great record of making those kind of schemes work particularly well. Partly because they last for about six months, then people are back onto the uh, unemployment list again, and perhaps any training that is provided is not really geared up for the jobs that are becoming available. How do we guard against that again?
4: Yeah, I mean, this is, this this kickstarter scheme is aimed at, at young people, and we 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 definitely know that the most damaging thing for a young person is to be shut out the labour market entirely. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's really, it's a really good idea. The government's doing this. Um, it's, it's not the solution to the, to soaking up the mass of unemployed people. I was talking about earlier, we need something on a bigger scale on that. So this is really, you should think of the kickstart really as being aimed at, um, preventing absolutely terrible outcomes for young people. Um, it's, it's not about the the previous scheme, the the future jobs fund, I think it was called a decade ago. Then that, that, um, that was evaluated and it it, it it does pretty well actually compared to other labour market programs we can think of for young people, um, but yeah yeah it would this is a different kind of recession isn't it and and um, we just don't know how long it's going to last because. Effectively, we're being driven by by the public health, by the virus, by the search for the vaccine. So it may well be that the six month placements they come off that, and we're still having the same kind of conversations because we're still we're still in this world. But so that's that's a new uncertainty, and of course, I mean that's, that's 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 true for every economic decision the government's trying to make at the moment. That there's an underpinning public health uncertainty.
2: Well, I, would, I would argue. that... Sorry, (laughs) just jumping in here. I mean, when it comes to the skills, um, uh, initiatives and uh, interventions that the government is currently making, um, I think that there is huge room for whatever investment the government is going to put in. It will pay back massively. Um, and the, and it could be a crucial part of their levelling up agenda. So, you know, for every pound that they put in right now into, into the, the Kickstarter scheme, and they have the infrastructure that matches the skills, needs of local areas, um, say, like, we were just talking about the aerospace in, in Tewksbury, for example, and your manufacturing, and, and to support that kind of area, apprenticeships in that area, it will be hugely beneficial for the next you know, 10, 15, even 25 years when people are in these jobs um, and building their careers and building businesses, (laughs) Um, you know, for the next generation.
1: What you're saying is if we get it right,
2: if we get it right, but then again, you know, the investment has to be in the in the infrastructure to deliver skills training, which we haven't done for like the last twenty years, twenty five years, I would argue. Try forty and forty
0: five years. Forty five, yeah. I mean, you know, we are and, atrocious in this country about investment in, in skills.
2: Yeah, um, but you know, we have a real opportunity to turn that around right now, um, and and that could be, all be part of the government's lobbying up agenda.
1: Okay. What do we need to see? This is the weekend of the virtual Tory Party conference. Uh, the Lib Dems have had theirs, the Labour Party has had theirs, the SNP is having theirs next week. But this is the Labour this is the, the Tory Party one. This weekend, this podcast will be going out on Monday, so it you know, it will have been the discussions will have been had. What Angel are those- history. What are those discussions that we need them to be having this weekend thinking about what needs to be put in place for the next six months? Come on, who's going to... Nobody's jumping in now. <laughs> <laughs> everybody's, everybody's going, I've no idea.
3: Like, Just targeted on, furlough. Targeted furlough.
0: Yeah, I'll go along
2: with that. Oh,
3: that's I definitely agree with that.
2: Targeted, targeted, more flexible targeting, and yeah, furlough, yeah. furlough being able to be used at different points over the next next few months, really.
1: Mike, yeah. I mean, I, I think. Months
4: what's missing and indeed as we've already said is is a sense of what the strategy is to get us through the next uh, six months or 12 months so the the, you know, the last week's announcement the winter economic plan it was it was built up to be quite a big deal but it was really just one you know one tiny new policy to replace a job retention scheme and, and most people have said that the new scheme is really not not going to do what the chancellor said so that's not a strategy that's just a, yeah, that, that's that's a one policy so we need a strategy to get us through the next six months um, for actual policies, uh, well, we at Resolution Foundation have also been calling on the government to extend the increased generosity of universal credit for another year. We're still gonna have two, three, four million people unemployed next year, so we shouldn't be taking away the 20 pound a week that we gave them last April. Um, some sort of new furlough scheme would be a good idea if the restriction public health restrictions, if the virus continues to spread, and we have to shut down more of our economy, because we, we, we're going to need to. If that happens, we're going to need to furlough people. Well, we're going to need to furlough people again, and, and the furlough scheme is going to stop entirely. I think those would be my. Um, my two. but yeah, a, a, a strategy would be good, and not not just slogans that we should all be brave, but actual. What, what's the economic strategy? What's the strategy to ensure that? Uh, you know, our economy is, is going to be functioning as well as possible in 6 or 12 months' time and employing as many people as possible in 6 or 12 months' time, I guess, my concern.
5: Absolutely, I, agree, not- with, I agree with that. Uh, one thing I'd add is, the, and it kind of comes back to what was discussed at the start, is the a strategy around the public health response and the regulations as well. And I do think, obviously, a lot of that's been made up on the hoof up to this point, and I think that's kind of understandable because we didn't really understand the nature of the virus and how it spreads and what the risks are and what the costs are of certain regulations versus other regulations. And I think there needs to be a proper kind of thorough cost benefit analysis and then a clear indication of this is what's going to happen. And these are the industries that are going to be damaged as and when, um, you know, we have more regulations. Because I think at the moment it's just they're coming up like the, the the curfew, for example, as was mentioned, doesn't seem necessarily the best policy um, eat out to help out seems a bit mad to do in, a, in the middle of a pandemic in, in in my opinion there's lots of there's lots of things that seem to be a bit on the hoof and i think now is the time to just get get all that in order and be and 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 decide where the where the kind of um, regulations are going to come in and and that's based on the on the that will obviously have to be based on the science but i think we know enough about it we have a sense of the way that it spreads in terms of these kind of super spreader type events or locations so I think we've got a lot more information we had at the start and we can design the regulations a bit more sensibly than has currently been designed. Um, I'm not the person to do that because I don't have a background in medicine but I do think that needs to be done but it needs to be done in reference also to the cost, obviously to the cost to the economy as well because there's you know that's has an impact on people's health as well so yeah it needs I think that real joined up thinking hasn't been done and now is the time to do it for sure. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, while they're uh, doing their joined-up thinking, um, Mike, it would be very remiss of me to have a chief economist from the Resolution Foundation here and not say, um, what does the recovery look like? Uh, you know, what happened to that V shape that the Bank of England thought we were going to have? Still uh, we've does. Had, we've had W shapes, we've had K shapes. What What is it going to look like if you were going to forecast it, given what we, now, we know six months in? Andy
0: Haldane at the Bank of England is still very bullish. Yeah.
4: I mean, forecasting is a mugscape, isn't it? Um, I think, you know, we, we, saw, we saw a rapid rebound because we just shut down so heavily. So having shut down so heavily, we opened up and we naturally sprung back. But uh, I guess what we're seeing now is we sprung back maybe half the way. Um, what's... The reason it's so hard to forecast is, so we've already said this, Philip was saying this, that is that the state of the economy depends upon the state of the restrictions imposed on us because of the virus. So it's the public health treatment that, are, that, that that are getting, you know, they are the the biggest, they they were the biggest determinants, sorry. I guess as we move into the next six months, 12 months, um, what's also gonna be important is uh, people's confidence. And I guess that's that's true for all recessions, isn't it? Um, And that was the great thing about the initial measures the government took, uh, throwing money at the bottom, very generous in in, in all its schemes. Um, And that would have helped prevent confidence from collapsing in March when we shut down the economy. I think we need, perhaps, because we haven't got a strategy. Perhaps because we're, we're we, people see the uh, limitations of what the government's doing. That confidence is starting to wane, and with looming unemployment, that's never going to give businesses the confidence to invest or individuals the confidence to spend. So we're getting into that part of the recession where. And Andy Haldane was touching on this. I mean, he was a bit too gun ho, but, but they, he's right that um, a lack of confidence leads to a worse recession um so it's government but it's government's self-fulfilling yeah it's fulfilling it is part of government's job to give people that confidence but it doesn't do it just by telling us to be confident they do it through its by announcing policies which give us reassurance which give us the confidence Um, and i think many people quite rightly do not feel that right now with the furlough scheme ending uh with many people you know going to be unemployed and on and on benefits which don't pay very much and with businesses worrying about how they are going to pay back all the loans that they've taken on in the last few months. So we are, we, we, we're going to move into the recession, which is, which is harder because it's, it's, it's all starting to in, uh, interlock with each other and to play with each other and confidence is going to be very important.
3: Stephanie, how confident are you? I am very confident that travel is going to come back. And when it does come back, it's going to go bonkers because people are desperate to go on holiday. They're absolutely just, I know you're not.
1: <laughs> but. No, I'm not much of a holiday maker. But if you find me somewhere that I can go and really get to know people uh, yeah. you know, and get to know the place, then I'm very happy to. I will sort you a holiday team.
0: out. In the Arctic. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Brion, you run your own company. How confident are you?
0: Um, I'm,
1: you run, I'm beginning to see PR things.
2: Yeah, I'm beginning to see some green shoots and things are looking exciting on the horizon. But as you say, um, as as Mike was saying, it, it, it could all very much go downhill uh, if the new restrictions are brought in, if further things are being, um, if the confidence isn't there, if business confidence isn't there, because ultimately I'm selling B2B, I'm selling into businesses, Um, services so it's it's just very much and and to be quite honest with you some of the businesses that I've been speaking to recently they are they're trying to sort of almost justify buying additional services when they're making staff redundant at the end of the day and and how can they justify that it's it's not something so so if things are moving in that way it's not going to be a good climate put it that way
1: Philip how confident are you
5: yeah, I mean, I think I kind of echo that. That's a sense, you know, I have a similar sense from from our business that 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 you know, then people don't want to spend additional money at this point because of that exact reason. You know, how can they justify laying off members of staff that they have um, that for the people that are left over and then investing in new new things like. Um, in our case obviously reports and things like that so I think from from a business owner I kind of see it from from that side also but there are as you say green shoots and and from our from what we've seen we've kind of pivoted a little bit I think we're a bit stronger and leaner and better at what we do from from that time so for the businesses that survive they'll um, you know they'll be stronger for it and there's there's evidence of exactly that businesses that do well now 10 years later Um, they're the ones that are still doing well so I think that's the that's the lesson but yeah obviously not everyone's in the same position and I think that's uh, yeah that's that's very unfortunate but yeah well I'm confident that Mickey will still be
1: grumpy next week but uh, (laughs) Mickey you and I'll be back to talk about more uh, topical business issues Uh, and in fact next week we're going to have a look back at to see what did happen at that Tory party virtual conference and what they did talk about and what did, what plans did come out of that. Uh, So join us again. Some benefits to the
0: lockdown, not to listen to the politicians at their conferences.
1: (laughs) Well, there you go. (laughs) It's a a nil wind, as they say, that blows nobody any good. In the meantime, Stephanie Jepson, thank you very much for joining us. Mike Brewer. Philip. Cheers, Steph. Thank you you. very much indeed. Brion, we will talk to you. Well done, Mike um and in the meantime if you want to contribute any comments uh, on anything you've heard or anything that's happening in your business then please do email us contact us at backinbusiness.org.uk find us on linkedin or we're on twitter at business underscore back in and see you next week